0: So this morning, the parable that we are doing is the workers in the vineyard, the workers that are early and late. And as a bit of a, that's in uh, Matthew 20, 1 to 16. But as a bit of a background, I just want to back up to Matthew 19, because Jesus tells this parable in context of teaching that he's been doing to the people listening and to his disciples. And just before this in Matthew 19 he had been talking about the rich young ruler and about wealth and uh, it's difficult for a wealthy man to enter the kingdom of heaven as it is for a camel to go through the eye of a needle and but for things that are impossible with man are possible with God and Peter and the other disciples are listening and Peter says as Jesus is teaching these things he says but we have left everything and followed you what will we have right so this is the context in which Jesus begins to answer because peter says that's incredible but look at us jesus we your disciples here have left everything so what's our reward going to be for giving up everything that we've given up we're not rich and jesus answers him and he says you're going to rule with me in heaven and you know there's going to be eternal life and he goes on in matthew 19:29 he says and everyone all god's followers who have left houses and brothers or sisters or fathers or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake if you've left all of these things in the world to follow me, you'll receive a hundred times as much. If you look in, in Mark's version, he says, in this life and in the age to come, we'll inherit eternal life. You're going to receive blessing and reward. Jesus doesn't say you're not going to be rewarded. He, he affirms the reward. But then after explaining all these things that God people will be richly rewarded with, He issues a warning. He says in thirty, verse 30, But many who are first will be last, and the last first. So he answers Peter. He says, you will be rewarded, but be careful. Because a lot of you, many, who think they are first are going to be last. And the last are going to come first. And, And we don't always read that sentence as a warning. It doesn't sound exactly like a warning, but that's what it is. Jesus is sending a signal. He can see Peter's heart. He can see the hearts of his listeners. And he can see the expectations and he's worried, he's concerned that their expectations are upside down because they are the upside down because they're the expectations of the world. He says, you've got to get your expectations and your heart turned right side up to God because you're looking at this the wrong way. I know the motive for you asking that question and it's not the right motive. The way you're talking, Peter, betrays a faulty and dangerous misunderstanding of God's grace. And so Jesus says right after this, he says, let me tell you a story that can help you understand your own hearts and God's kingdom. That's why Jesus is telling this parable. So why is he telling us this parable? It's a parable about the dangerous territory in which the disciples' hearts are beginning to walk. And Jesus knows where Peter's kind of thinking can lead. So the, the disciples and people who follow God have this lingering worldly view of God's nature and the kingdom that makes itself evident in the seeds of suspicion, and here's where, here's where the problem is in the thinking. It makes itself evident in the seeds of suspicion that God may be withholding blessing or envious that others are receiving more. Do you see that in Peter's question? He's saying, what do we get? Like he's suspicious that God isn't necessarily going to give him the reward that he deserves, or he's worried somebody's going to get more. You see how that's underlying his question, and Jesus sees this. And if we begin to think that God is stingy and that God is begrudging in His blessing and that we have to work to earn more blessing or reward from Him, or if we think that God owes us something that we have merited, then it's going to lead to bitter, discontent life. Even a bitter and discontent Christian life. There are Christians who are bitter and resentful and discontent because they think God is holding back or somebody else is getting more. And Jesus sees this in the hearts of his followers. And he says, let me tell you a parable. It's a parable about a warning of the danger of having those worldly expectations of God. And it's another illustration of the unconventional and radical generosity that God displays with his mercy. And we know that this is... The message that Jesus is giving, because he bookends it, in Matthew 19, 30, he says, but many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. And then at the end of the parable, he says it again in Matthew 20:16. he says, so the last will be first, and the first will be last. So this whole parable is a description of, of why that is, and what God's generous nature is. Let me just pray before we read the parable, and we'll see whether we can get what Jesus is teaching. Father God, we thank you for your word, we thank you that We are blessed with it, that you've preserved it for us by your Holy Spirit, that we are able to read it, to learn from it. And Lord, I just pray that you would put your finger on our hearts and our spirit where your finger needs to be put, and that we would see in ourselves the early and the late workers, and that we would understand in what instances are we the early workers and in what instance are we the late workers, and how do we correct this error in our heart, our misunderstanding of your economy and your generosity and your mercy. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so let's let the Word of God speak here. Matthew 20, 1-16. Jesus speaking to his disciples and to us. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. And he told them, you also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. And so they went. And he went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and still found others standing around. And he asked them, why have you been standing here all day doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work of the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give this one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? And so the last will be first, and the first will be last. Okay, there's a lot to unpack in here about the human heart, okay, that Jesus is teaching. So let's just start by simply just observing in the text what Jesus is emphasizing in this parable. By observing the emphasis that he places on certain things, what he chooses to say and what he chooses not to say, then he highlights or he The highlight, the the, the lesson that he wants to highlight, or the contrast that we will see, will be drawn deeper into the lesson that Jesus wants us to learn. So he says, The kingdom of heaven is like a landowner and his vineyard. And this is a common picture of God and his kingdom that Jesus uses at various places. God is a landowner, God is a master, he's a ruler, he's a king. We've heard this in other parables. And he is always, God as that master or king or landowner, is always drawing people into his estate. He seeks out people to join him. You notice the landowner goes out to the marketplace to find the people, to draw them into his vineyard, into his kingdom. This is a picture of God. It is God who is going out to seek those who would join him that he would draw into his kingdom. And so the setting for this lesson that Jesus has set up is God and his kingdom, God and his people. This is a lesson for us about who God is and how his kingdom works A generous owner going out into the market and drawing people to himself into his estate. He says, who went out early in the morning to hire workers. It's God who goes out choosing people to enter. His kingdom is always growing. It's always expanding. God, the landowner, the estate owner, the master, the king, he's always going out and drawing more people into his kingdom all the time. There's always more and different kinds of people coming into God's kingdom. And the picture that Jesus is using here is of migrant or temporary workers, okay? They have no other job. If you've ever traveled in the world, it's not so common here in in North America and Canada. In the United States, well, in parts of the southern states it's very common, but in Mexico and Ecuador and other parts of the country, if you needed a job and you weren't employed anywhere, you didn't have a career, you just went to the marketplace and you waited as a day laborer, and a truck would pull up and they would say, we're harvesting beans. You want to come pick beans? Yeah, jump in the truck, we're going, right? So this is the picture that Jesus is painting of day laborers, of migrant workers, They have no other job. They have no other master. They really have no prospects until the master of the vineyard arrives and offers them a place. These are people that have no opportunity. But God, the master of the vineyard, shows up and gives them purpose and gives them a place. And so Jesus has chosen this scene for his story on purpose. It would not be lost on his listeners the emphasis he is making about the grace these workers are receiving to be offered an opportunity and the emphasis on this grace becomes more and more apparent as, as the owner, as Jesus, works the owner through the workday and then arrives at his conclusion. Right? These are people that, that Jesus' listeners know have no purpose, no opportunity. There's nothing for them until the owner shows up. So this is grace, and, and Jesus' listeners would get that. This is a gracious owner that's coming to hire people who can't get hired anywhere else. But these workers are people of the world. Understand the picture here. God's vineyard is the kingdom. The marketplace is the world. And so the people that Jesus is talking about are people of the world. They're not in God's kingdom until he comes and gives them the opportunity and they accept that offer. God comes and offers them and they accept that offer. Now they're in the vineyard. Now they're in the kingdom. This is a lesson for Christians. This is a lesson for God's people because he's going to talk about the workers that are actually working in the vineyard. And Christians, if you're a Christian here today, you and I were once these people, right? We were in the world, in the marketplace, with no prospect, with no hope. And until God came and made us an offer and we accepted that offer to come into his kingdom, we we were still in the world. We were outside the kingdom. We were not yet accepting God's grace. But then these people accepted it and came into the kingdom. And more on that later. But then we notice here also a series of times of the day that the landowner does his hiring. And again, observe the emphasis that Jesus places on this. He says early in the morning, then he says about nine, and then about noon, and about three, and about five in the afternoon. And so in this list of workers hired, we see that the first workers hired early in the morning, just notice this, he agreed to pay them a denarius. And then as he continues on to hire more workers as the day goes on, now, Jesus, as he often does in these parables, he's setting up to his listeners before he pulls the rug out from underneath their expectations. You know where this story is going. But as he, as this landowner continues to hire more workers as the day goes on, he doesn't mention a denarius. He just says, I'll pay you what is right. And then he says, it did the same at third and then at five o'clock. So these other workers that have come in are different than the first workers. Okay, so there's not four or five groups of workers here. There's really two. There's the early workers who were told they would get a denarius, and there's everybody else who came late, who the landowner didn't say what he was going to pay them. He just said, I'll do what's right. I'll do what's just. And so they are working at the mercy and the generosity of the landowner. So we have early workers, and we have late workers. And he singles out those early workers. It's only those early workers that he agreed to pay a denarius. And so each of the later groups, the emphasis is also that the master found them standing in the marketplace, doing nothing, standing around idle, standing all day doing nothing. So who, what is Jesus saying here? He's saying life outside the vineyard, life outside the kingdom of God is pointless. It's idleness, it's purposelessness. But specifically to this parable, it's profitless. These, these people have no prospect of earning anything. They have no point, right? There's no reward. Life outside the kingdom doesn't pay. Inside the kingdom, there is reward. Outside, there's no reward. Inside the kingdom, pay. Outside the kingdom, poverty. Inside the kingdom, blessing. Outside the the kingdom, hardship. Inside purpose, outside pointless. Inside fruitful, outside fruitless. Inside with God, outside without God. With God, without God. Some of you are getting that reference, right? If you saw that movie. You know what I'm talking about, right? With me, without me. Right? Outside the kingdom, inside the kingdom. With God, without God. Fruitful, fruitless. Pay, no pay. Right? This is the distinction Jesus is making. These people standing in the marketplace were standing around idle. They were standing around doing nothing. There was nothing for them. And that's an important part of this parable, especially for some of you that are not even in the vineyard yet. You need to understand that God is generous. God will reward. And what you are doing now in the marketplace, in the world, is essentially idleness. It's distraction. It's fruitless pursuit of worldly things in the marketplace that will not satisfy you in this life. And you cannot take with you what you have in this life into the next life. But secondly, notice again what Jesus emphasizes about these later groups of people. Why are they standing around doing nothing? They say, because no one has hired us. He comes back to those people at the end of the day and says, why are you still standing here doing nothing? He said, but they, they answered, nobody hired us. And so these later workers, especially the very last workers that the owner calls into his vineyard, have not been hired by anybody. It's the end of the day and still nobody wants them. Now, now, imagine Jesus as listeners. These are migrant workers who really have nothing to begin with. Right? They're waiting all day to be hired, and the master's going out at various times of the day, and even at the end of the day, he's still finding people in the marketplace who nobody wants, who nobody has hired. Right? This is intentional. These are not the cream of the crop. These last workers that come into the field were not the first pick for the team. Right? You did that in public school. right? You lined up for baseball, and somebody was a captain, and then they started picking teams and you are just hoping you're not picked last, right? This is who the master is picking last. These are not the cream of the crop. These are not people anybody wanted. They have their issues. They have their problems. They have their baggage. They are not people that are eagerly sought after. And and we know these people, right? And then when we're honest, we realize we are these people, right? right? We're the people that get picked last. Why would anybody want us? And as the master of the vineyard goes out, he sees these people in the marketplace that everybody else has passed over, that everybody else has overlooked, that nobody else has offered a job, that nobody else thinks has anything else to offer, that they have nothing that is profitable. And he says, you come too. You enter into the vineyard. You come work for me as well. Maybe nobody else wants you, but I do. And we have our issues. We have our baggage. Maybe we hide it well, or maybe we just deny it and tell ourselves that we are worthy. But when we stand before God, we are all the late workers. Okay, We all were not qualified or merited to be chosen to work in his vineyard. Right? We were all the overlooked ones until God came and offered us something. We might be in denial about it, but that's who we are. But anyway, these workers that the master hires late don't have very much to offer, and yet he says, you also go and work in my vineyard. You're welcome as well. Even this late in the day, even though you don't have much to add to the labor, even though you don't think you can contribute much to my kingdom or much to my estate, you take your place among my people just like everybody else. And this is where the lesson of God's grace comes in. Jesus is saying something about the generosity and the grace and the mercy of God. God's grace is unexpected. And not only is it unexpected, as we will soon say, God's grace is radical and outrageous. We know it's outrageous because it causes outrage in the early workers. So just keep these observations. This is the picture Jesus has painted. Keep these observations in mind, because now Jesus is going to begin the rug pulling out from underneath the listeners. Right, The scene of the story shifts to the end of the day. The expectations are set. Who's going to get what? How does this all play out? What's the punchline going to be? He says, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired, going on to the first. So Jesus makes the connection. He, he connects the dots. Remember, the last shall be first and the first shall be last. And so here's the point. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. And so when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more but they also received a denarius. Well, here's the outcome we all know so well. Starting with the last workers, they got a full day's pay. They got the full denarius. And it's understood so on down through the workers, hired at 3 and hired at noon and hired at 9 a.m., all these workers got a denarius. They all got a just and a fair day's pay. Isaac asked me, how much is a denarius? I said, I don't know. It's a fair day's pay. 150 bucks, 200 bucks. I don't know what it was. 20 bucks an hour, 30 bucks an hour, something. It was a fair day's pay for the work that was given. And everybody got it. Everybody got their 150 or 200 bucks. And those early workers who work since sunup, they got the same denarius. And there's no surprise here, they're pretty upset about it. Right? They're calling the provincial labor board. (laughs) Right? Who is this landowner thinks he can pay me the same as these people that work for three hours or one hour? Right? They're calling their lawyer to take them to court. But get this, in this parable, Jesus isn't telling the story to teach us labor law. Okay? So take that, set it aside. This is not a parable about labor law. It's not the point Jesus is making. He might tell another story at some other point that maybe we don't have recorded that's about labor law. It wasn't important enough for the scripture. So, but that's not this one. He's teaching us not about labor law. He's teaching about how God's grace works. So why are these people upset? And the key phrase there is in verse 10. Why in verse 10 are they upset? Because they expected. They expected to receive more. These early workers were working the whole day. We kind of find out here that this whole day they were working, watching all these latecomers coming uh, into the field later, and frankly, pretty undesirable people at that. I mean, these were the, not the cream of the crop, right? These are the last people hired. They probably were slow, maybe they were lame, maybe they were lazy, whatever. But these early workers are looking at these you know, slackers coming in late, and they're feeling pretty good about their hard work and dedication, right, about their productivity. You know, like we're picking, you know, 10 bunches a minute. These guys are doing like two. We've been doing it all day. They've been doing it for a few hours. And so they're looking down their noses at these people, thinking, I'm feeling pretty good about how this is going to turn out at the end of the day. They figure they're going to get, they're going to expect the best reward. And you remember Peter's question that that caused this whole story to be told in the first place. Peter said, we gave up everything to follow you. What do we get? We were the first twelve. We were the disciples before you were famous. We followed you before it was cool to follow you. We've been with you from the start, Jesus. What's our reward? But it's not just Peter and the disciples. Jesus is telling this parable for all the workers in God's kingdom, for all the people that he's invited into his vineyard. It's a warning for us. It's a warning about the dangerous idea that Jesus can see forming in our hearts, the danger of believing that God is somehow unjust or not generous, and the danger of believing about ourselves, that we are entitled to more than what God has given us in our life and is going to reward us with in the future. It's the dangerous thought that God is somehow in debt to us because of our work for him. Or at the very least, we deserve more than those other latecomers. And so now we see how Jesus exposes these lessons about our hearts. He says in verse 11, When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work of the heat of the day. And then a little bit later he says, are you envious because I am generous? Two things Jesus points out about their hearts here. Okay, this is where the lesson hits home. This is where the finger is pressed into that sore spot in our spirit. Two things he says, they grumble, and then they're envious. And so there is a a grumbling spirit The early workers are upset because they feel they are getting the short end of the stick in life. They feel like they have measured up to greater blessing and greater reward, but that God is somehow shortchanging them. Remember, it was only the first group that was working with payment in mind. Only the early workers heard that they were going to get a denarius. And so while they are working in the field, they're not thinking about the master or the vineyard or the opportunity or the blessing or the graciousness. They are working thinking denarius, 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 denarius. Right? That's what they're thinking all the time they're working. They're thinking, payday is coming. The other workers, the master didn't say he was going to pay him anything specifically. He just said, I'll, I'll be fair. And they worked in his vineyard in the joy and the blessing and the grace and the mercy that was shown to them, just saying, there's a master that's going to pay me what's fair. I'm happy. And I'm thrilled to be working. Because otherwise I'm standing in the marketplace in idleness doing nothing. But those first workers, because their eyes were on the reward, are grumbling and envious. That's where their grumbling and envious spirit comes from. It comes from having their eyes and their mind and their heart and their spirit set on the reward. And so then when they saw the landowner rewarding others for their labor differently than themselves, they instantly became suspicious of the landowner. We instantly become suspicious of God when we see Him blessing others better than us. We start to think, wait a minute, God. Are you holding out on me? Is, is there some blessing that I should be getting that you are keeping for yourself or you're giving to somebody else? And our hearts and our spirit get suspicious of God, and we can do that. We can be suspicious that He's holding out on us, that there's somehow more blessing due to us because we've worked so hard or we've been a Christian so long or we grew up in a Christian home and we were such good people and we never did all those terrible things that those other people have done. You know, look at all those latecomers to the field. Look at those people that can barely get by in life. Look at the bad decisions they've made. God, why are you blessing them when I've been a good Christian boy my whole life? Where's my blessing? You don't feel that just a little bit sometimes? Right? I've been good God. I've worked hard for you. I go to church every Sunday. I volunteer in Sunday school. How, 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 come, that, how come that single mom who got pregnant at 16 with a guy she doesn't even know anymore, how come she gets mercy? How come she gets grace? How come her life is working out for her? How come she got a job and I didn't, I'm looking for a job, and you gave her a job and I didn't get a job? Right? How, how come those people that came late to your kingdom are getting the same blessing, even more blessing than I get? And we get suspicious of God, that he can't be trusted to reward us or bless us as we deserve. Now, that's a dangerous thought, isn't it? Right, That's the finger of Jesus saying, is your heart saying that God is not blessing you as he should, that he's somehow unfair? Be careful. Be careful. That's a dangerous way to think. And what lies beneath that is a growing feeling that you are more deserving than others because you've done more or acted better. It's not just that God might be withholding something, but you start to think that he owes it to you. When we first come to the kingdom of God, We were humble, right? We begged for forgiveness. God revealed in our hearts that we had nothing to offer, that we could not earn His salvation, that there was nothing that He needed from us. I mean, He's God. What does He need from us? We don't serve Him. He serves us. And we came to Him as when we were firstborn, newly minted Christians. We came to Him in that humility. We understood He is everything and we are nothing. We can offer Him nothing, He offers us everything. We can't earn His salvation, He gives it to us as a free gift because of what Christ has done on the cross. We understand that. But then as the day goes on in our Christian life, we start to think that maybe we've started to earn or to merit God's blessing. That our life has been pretty clean, that we've made good choices, that we've followed the Ten Commandments well, that we've been diligent in working for God. In fact, didn't God pick us first? I mean, didn't he smile upon us and welcome us into his vineyard? I mean, we must merit something. We must be good for something or else he wouldn't have done that. We must be one of the best players on the team. Oh, there's an, Jesus has got his finger on another part of your spirit there. That's a dangerous way to think too, right? It's dangerous to think God's withholding. It's dangerous to think you can put him in your debt because you earned it. And we start to think, why shouldn't we receive more? We've put God in our debt. He owes us a greater reward. Now don't misunderstand me. It's good to serve God well. It's a joy for you and it's a glory for Him. If you're one of the most productive players on the team, so to speak, that's a good feeling and that's a good thing. I mean, you don't really want to be the guy batting 180, right? You don't want to be the bat boy or the guy riding the bench. It's a good thing to be in God's vineyard and working and working well and laboring fruitfully. Those are good things. But that isn't what Jesus is teaching here. What Jesus has seen in the hearts of his disciples and in our hearts is the danger that because God called them first and because they've been playing pretty well on the team, they think that God can be made a debtor to them and that they've earned God's reward rather than accept it as a gift of his generosity. Because if you were chosen early and you've lived a long, faithful life to God... You know why you're able to be emotionally stable and financially secure and live in the right neighborhoods and make wise life choices? Right? Do you know why you're one of the early workers? That's because of God's blessing too. That's because of God's generosity. That's not what you did. Right? You didn't you didn't create yourself in the womb and say, "I'm going to make myself smart so that I can get a PhD." You know, you didn't get born into a family that had certain privileges and advantages. You know, it wasn't you that got yourself to Canada or being born in Canada. God arranged those things. It's not you that had that opportunity for that job. It's not you that did those things. God gave you all of those things. He gave you the wisdom. He gave you the health. He gave you the finances. He gave you the family. He gave you the opportunity. Every blessing you have is not from you. But the early workers start to think, it's me. I did it, so God owes me. I merit his attention. And then you take those things in the heart of these early workers and in the heat of the heat of the moment that makes our pride in ourselves and our suspicion towards God really boil over, where the rubber really meets the road is when we see other people being rewarded or blessed or receiving the mercy from God that we feel is due to us. That's when it really boils up in our spirit. That's where Jesus really puts his other finger on the real sore spot of our heart. And this is the problem where these things can happen is you then start to begrudge others who receive mercy without first having earned it like you did. Why do those lesser people who God chose late in the day get his mercy? Why do those lesser people who nobody else would hire, right? Why do these people that I look down on, who haven't had to perform the Christian life as well as I have had, get blessing and get mercy when they don't deserve it? They're getting way more than they deserve. God should not be sheltering them. God should not be providing for them. He shouldn't be helping them. They haven't measured up the way I have. Why am I expected to serve them? Why am I expected to humble myself? Why am I expected to work harder? And this can happen anywhere. This can happen in your own family. This can happen among friends. You can look at other people and you can say, Why do I have to bear the burden of the heat of the day? Why do I have to keep faithfully trudging and working along being the good husband or the good wife or the good son or the good daughter, right? Or the good cousin or the good worker or the good friend. Why am I always bearing the burden and the other people seem to be able to get away with whatever they want and God still blesses them? You ever feel that way just a little bit? That's what Jesus is pointing at. He's saying, be careful. Be careful. Be careful. Everything that I have is yours. I'm rewarding you justly. In fact, it's good that you don't need my mercy and grace. Right? They're getting exactly what they should get from me. Don't withhold any of the mercy or any of the generosity or any of the blessing that I would give them. That kind of grumbling comes from a heart that doesn't understand rightly the generosity of God and how he apportions his grace. It comes from a heart that doesn't understand that there is a great reward in God's kingdom, but it's not based on merit. It's based it's not it's based not on merit and not on worldly criteria. It's based on God's heart and his kindness towards us. So then Jesus explains how God's kingdom works. He answered one of them. He said, "Am I not being I'm not being unfair to you, friend?" Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. So the master says he says, I'm just and I'm fair. When I came to you with my promise, you received my promise gladly, and you will receive your reward in full. I'm not holding anything back from you. Take what is yours and be pleased with it. Right? Those early workers, they were thrilled to receive the grace and the mercy of the master and to come to work for him for a denarius. Wow, you're going to pay me the same as everybody else. That's awesome. Right? I was expecting half a denarius. You're giving me a full, you're giving me full day's pay. I don't deserve that, but you came and they were so happy about it. And that's what he's saying. He's saying, I've rewarded you. I've told you what your reward's going to be. You were thrilled to have that reward. When I came to you to bring you out of the world and I said, I'm going to be your master and I'm going to give you purpose in life and I'm going to give you profitable life and a fruitful life and then a reward in eternity. This is what Jesus is talking about, right? An eternal, everlasting life. He's talking about the kingdom of God. We're thrilled with that. So now you say, So why are you grumbling now? You were happy with what I offered you. You were were pleased with it. Take it, it's yours. Do you hear an echo here of another parable that we may yet come to, a parable you might know, the parable of the prodigal son and the elder brother? You hear the echoes of that in these early workers. You remember the elder brother? When the prodigal returned, he said, Father, you never killed a lamb and threw a party for me or my friends. How come this poor excuse of a brother drags himself home and you kill the fatted calf and throw a party? Same lesson. Same lesson. The father tells the elder brother in that parable, he says, everything I have is yours. It's always been yours. You'll have your reward. Can't you celebrate the return of your brother who was lost? Jesus is telling the same thing here. He's saying to the early workers, you've got your reward. Take it. Go. Take your reward. What I've offered you is yours. Why why can't you be happy for these people that I'm also also merciful to? I'm not shortchanging you. Paul says in Romans 8.32, He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? God would say to you, I've already given you my son... On the cross. My son, who had heaven, my son, who had paradise, of his own free will, humbled himself to come and live in the mud with you for 33 years, to put up with your sin, to put up with your unrighteousness, to put up with you spitting on him and rejecting him, beating him putting him on a cross to die. He bore the sins of the world for you. I've already given you my son. What do you think I'm withholding from you? God's already rewarded and will continue to reward justly. The danger in our heart comes when we start to compare ourselves to others. Just as Jesus said to Peter, when Peter asked him, what's our reward? Jesus told them, you're going to rule with me. And everyone who follows will receive a hundred times more than they gave up in this age and eternal life in the age to come. God will reward, but the warning comes, be careful. Guard your heart. Because his grace is unexpected, it's outrageous. And many of you who think you should be first in his kingdom are going to end up last. Those of you who think that you're ahead of everybody else have no idea what other people are bearing and what fruit they're giving. To the kingdom. He says, I want to give to the one who has hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money, or are you envious because I'm generous? And the lesson here is that God apportions His grace in a way that He knows is fair. And this is hard. We've got to stop and just think for a minute. As God is apportioning His grace and His mercy and His blessing to people, We have to understand, I I would imagine there are thousands, there are even millions of unique conditions and categories of grace that God considers as he portions out his mercy to each of his people. In fact, there are as many unique reasons for God's mercy as there are unique people and circumstances. And so God is apportioning his grace and his blessing in the perfect and exact measure towards those who need it, exactly how they are to receive it. Do you understand what I'm saying? When we see the mercy others receive and we think to ourselves, why is God showing them that mercy? Only God knows the mercy they need. We don't know what they've been through in their life. We don't know the circumstances that God has brought them through. We don't know the circumstances that they're in. We don't know the... How how can I phrase this? We We don't know the advantages or disadvantages that they may have biologically, emotionally, mentally, physically, relationally, financially, historically. Socially, culturally, whatever lee you want to put on it, right? There are all these things going on in people's lives that puts them out of place, and God says, this is the mercy that I apportion to them. This is the blessing. This is the grace that they need from me. And what Jesus is saying here is we sit back and we look at that, and we say, God, what, what are you doing? Why do they get that mercy? Why do they get that grace? Don't you see what I'm doing over here? God says, I see what you're doing, and you're getting your reward. I've given you the mercy and the grace that you need, and they're getting the mercy and the grace that they need. That's fair. What's unfair is that they need more. We want to know what's unfair, what's unfair is that you are financially stable and mentally stable and emotionally stable and, and your family's stable and your marriage is good. They look at you and they say, "That's unfair." They say, you're the most blessed. And so if you are shouldering the weight of the heat of the day and the burden of doing the most work in the kingdom and everybody else seems to be depending on you and seems to be doing less and they seem to be receiving more of God's mercy and kind of a free ride, just be glad you're not them. They're getting the mercy they need. That's what Jesus is saying here. That's what the, that's what the early workers are saying. Why do these guys get a free ride? And Jesus is saying, you're getting your pay, you got your reward. Man, you should just be glad you're not them. God is apportioning his mercy exactly how it is meant to be received by each person. Each person receives God's blessing and grace exactly as they are determined. And that includes you. The mercy and the blessing and the grace that you receive from God is apportioned to you exactly as God intends to give it to you for his purposes and his glory and for your joy. And this is what we cannot see. We can't see if other people need more grace than we need. And we're not to be jealous of them, but compassionate. Thank God we don't need as much grace as they do. And rejoice with them that God's grace abounds all the more where it's needed. We don't know what burdens God has placed on their life and what grace will be required to bring them through. As Paul says in Romans 14.4, he's dealing with this exact same issue in Romans. He says in Romans 14.4, Who are we to pass judgment on another man's servant? We... we We are all servants of God, and we can't pass judgment on God's servants. It's Him to judge. We don't know the grace that's required. He apportions His grace fairly. Okay, what's a summary of the lessons here? Lessons for those of us in the kingdom. God doesn't pay the way you expect. God does not owe you extra blessing for your labor, and you cannot put God in your debt. God gives generously and blesses generously people you least expect, but people who are in need of that mercy and that grace. They may seem to get an easier go of things, or they may seem to have less expected of them, but you don't know what grace they need, but God does. And He is able to freely give out of His grace and His blessing as He rightly chooses. And there's also a more subtle point that's the flip side of that. God still expects you to be accountable for your work in his kingdom. Whether you're expected to work the whole day or expected to work five hours or expected to work three hours or expected to work one hour, you're still responsible for those hours. You don't get to say, oh, you know, I have this problem and so therefore I'm excused from behaving properly, right? Oh, I have this problem, therefore I don't have to act rightly or speak rightly, Right? Or I have this problem, therefore, I don't have to contribute the same way to the kingdom or to follow God the same way other Christians do. No, that doesn't work either. That's the flip side of this. Don't have time to get into that. But those workers who came late, they had their work to do too. So don't think that just because, well, I'm the late worker, you know everybody else has got to carry the load, and I'll just take the blessing. That doesn't work either. But the lesson for us in the kingdom is that God deals out his mercy exactly as he should And that he rewards us exactly as we are meant to be rewarded. Your obedience in using God's blessing is to be celebrated. But guard your heart. Don't think that you can convince yourself that you are a worker more worthy of reward than others. And there's a lesson here also for those not yet in the kingdom of God. And the bottom line of that lesson that Jesus is telling is that the kingdom of God pays. The kingdom of God pays. You may be sitting here asking yourself, you know, why should I become a Christian? And your logic for not being a Christian or not following God or, or not working closely in His kingdom and, and being close to Him is that it's all cost and no pay. You keep thinking, if I follow Jesus, then it's just going to cost me my current friends and these habits that I enjoy. It's going to cost me embarrassment with my friends. It's going to cost me, you know, I, it's going to cost me control in my life. And you're just thinking it's only going to cost you to follow Jesus. And let me be clear it will cost you. It will cost you your life to follow Jesus. Okay? Jesus does not deny that there's a cost. Right? When Peter says, you know, we left everything to follow you, Jesus doesn't say, oh no, you got all kinds of benefits, don't worry about it. No, 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 he, he acknowledges there's a cost to following him. He didn't, he didn't deny that Peter was right, that he had given up everything. There is a cost to following Jesus, but his answer was to affirm the reward because it will cost you to follow Jesus, but following Jesus pays more than anything you give up. He says, you're going to get a hundred times more than what you have in this life, standing in the marketplace in idleness and profitlessness. Doesn't mean a hundred times more money. Doesn't necessarily mean a hundred times more success. Doesn't mean a hundred times more pleasure for yourself in a worldly sense. It's a hundred times more because you join a kingdom of God. You have brothers and sisters all over the world, tens of thousands, millions of them. You have houses you can stay in on any continent in the planet. Just tell them you're a Christian. You've got a place to stay, right? You need a shoulder to cry on. There are 200 of them right here in this room, right? You gain in the kingdom of God far more than what you have on your own. And in the life to come, eternal life. God is not a hard taskmaster asking us to make bricks without straw. He's a rich landowner who gives generously those who work in his vineyard. The kingdom of God pays. It pays with forgiveness. It pays with grace. It pays with mercy. It pays with transformation. It pays with relationship. It pays with a new family. It pays with eternal life. God's mercy and generosity is overflowing to those who would simply accept his call. So when God is out in the marketplace and he finds you standing there idle, whiling away your life at useless pursuits, and he makes an offer to come into his kingdom and be paid by himself as the master, you take that opportunity. There is no better reward for you than to accept the call of Christ Jesus and to join him in his kingdom. Let's pray.